Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events, and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast from LPRC. This is the latest in our weekly update series, and uh, joined by my colleagues, Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan, um, as well as our producer, Diego Rodriguez. Um, Start off with a little bit about, you know, trying to look back to look forward and everything. And in the case of this pandemic, I was reading a little about the 1918 influenza, uh, what some call the Spanish flu uh, epidemic and became a pandemic. And the idea is that while um, it's kind of interesting and heartening to see almost real-time uh, sequencing of coronavirus, you know, whatever, 19, C19 virus uh, sequencing, genomic sequencing going on. And that really at this, I understand it's over 1.5 million uh, different coronavirus genomes have been sequenced, as you know, uh, looking for any kind of variation, any kind of evolutionary transitions. Um, and as we talked about before, the beauty of uh, several of these vaccines that are out and, and coming our way as well, uh, aim at multiple points on the spike protein. You know, it's called a multifocal aiming uh, mechanisms there so that even if one or two of those uh, focal points evolve in some way, um, that there are others that are still naive and hopefully the vaccine is able to affect them. And so far it seems to, uh, in, in a huge percentage of the populations that are vaccinated. So, but in the 1918, uh, Spanish flu pandemic, uh, they don't have many samples that they're able to sequence for obvious reasons. We're talking about over a hundred years ago. Um, but they have found some. And so they, but even within those, they can see some of that adaptation the virus was making on its own. Uh, and I understand influenza viruses can, um, can change more rapidly than coronaviruses like our current SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, or uh, viruses. Um, so we'll take a look at that and keep an eye on that. But the idea that we know these things uh, do change, but in that case, we're talking about millions millions that were killed by that by that pandemic and during that pandemic um but it came back and it came back stronger than ever in a second wave and that seemed to be due to the limited evidence that they do have to that kind of adaptation that the virus made and that's where the big concerns are here are with breakouts that uh, any and every person that becomes infected and is not infected vaccinated fully vaccinated uh, may, or at least their bodies have the potential again to provide a res- reservoir and a way for these um, viruses to replicate. Um, so that's kind of the concern and why uh, people are reaching for full community uh, or herd immunity. So um, in Malta is the country that has achieved that herd 
level immunity, um, they believe due to natural infection, but overwhelmingly due to the vaccination program. So a lot of uh, study going on there and observation surveillance of, of how things evolve there in that country. Um, in the United States, it looks like the, the U.S. Uh, adult population is about 40% fully vaxxed now. Uh, over 135 million Americans have, have been vaccinated to protect uh, others and themselves. Um, with uh, over, gosh, almost 300, 400 million vaccines delivered so far in arms, but the fully vaxxed uh, is around 135 plus million. Uh, worldwide, uh, only 5.1% or so seem to be fully vaxxed. Um, 400 million, um, so with 400 million humans fully vaccinated, again, very, very, very few, any kind of side effects at all other than um, immune response kick in the, the sore arm because of the intrusion and then some of the other mild uh, that go away 24, 48 hours. So encouraging news on the U.S. front, not so much on the world yet. Everybody racing. And we see that in India, who was by and large uh, exporting, it appears, their vaccines. They're, the I think, about the number one uh, vaccine producer in the world um, now is not um, sending those out. They're not exporting because their population is being devastated by the COVID-19 disease. Um, and, and it's just a, it's absolute tragedy. I know the U.S. And, and dozens of other countries have raced vaccine to them and continue to do so, as well as other medical therapies like oxygen tanks and generators and oxygen generators um, and uh, different types of therapies and so forth. Um, so stay tuned on that, but it's just a lesson. And if we don't get vaccinated, if we don't take it seriously, there's just more than enough people that, that can get very serious disease from, from this virus. Um, and it's just staggering to it. Who can, I I've, I've learned over the months, as many of you have um, people that really appear to be very healthy and vital uh, who end up going into the hospital or even worse. Um, it's just amazing. Um, so, uh, LA study is interesting though. When we talk about breakouts, um, the Department of Defense uh, has reported uh, over 1,600 military uh, personnel that have been vaccinated but do did test positive for uh, COVID-19. Uh, and so, in this case, uh, it was either probably non. It looks like uh, not serious, either asymptomatic or non-symptomatic. Um, and so, uh, or very mildly symptomatic because of the normally young and healthy nature of the group. Um, but the idea that 1,600 people that were fully vaccinated got it, um, again, goes back to, uh, we're talking about millions, uh, you know, million or so, two million, but also the idea that it can break out, that the virus can um, avoid or overcome or adapt to a vaccine. And we know that's gonna happen in percent of, case, of cases. Another reason, again, to try and get as many uh, Americans and, and, and our global neighbors vaccinated as possible uh, and as quickly as possible, uh, that does, according to all the science, reduce that breakthrough um, threat. Uh, but an LA study uh, just came out. Uh, it's a pretty exhaustive study. It appears um, those that were fully vaccinated, only 0.03% uh, tested positive for uh, coronavirus. So you know, it does appear pretty effective. And, um, you know, we're just seeing some breakthrough a little bit. We didn't want to see those breakouts, but we've got them. 
Um, going over to uh, the LPRC, just a couple quick things in the Safer Places Lab. We've now deployed three live view surveillance trailers in the Southwest parking lot there at the hub that we're using for R&D, as well as some other traffic um, devices, cones, and ways to channelize traffic to block areas. And uh, we're going to be establishing some pretty neat res research protocols in that Southwest parking lot where we look at the overall parking lot that has some vegetation of different types. We're looking at density, height, because uh, we're trying to pay attention um, to the military concepts in this way, just to describe positive space, negative space, and dead space, and how that's perceived by the green, the, the legitimate licit place user, as well as the red guy, the uh, illicit place user, um, and their perspectives and how we might use, again, these technologies um, and others to uh, reduce dead space or threat areas for the green um, and those that are hiding spots for the red. And uh, But stay tuned, you'll see a, an array of technologies out there, but we'll be able to do total parking lot. And then we, we have sort of four uh, sub components of that parking lot that we'll be able to use to do some comparison and contrasting research where we can run red and green um, uh, test participants through. Uh, and again, with the virtual reality, we're gonna be recreating this area, specific area as well, so that we can extend what we're learning uh, online in a vaster, you know, a much larger audience, uh, participant, subject level, um, and then create that learning loop between uh, VR online and the actual space and testing there, and then going to actual parking lots of different types, different store types, different lighting levels and things like that. So very excited about the zone four or parking area uh, R&D that's um, started taking place, but will be really ramping up over the next couple of weeks. Um, so that's uh, an exciting part. Some events coming out again. We just had the uh, cluster call that Diego set up. Uh, we had, I think, 21 or more on, in this case, uh, brainstorming what's going on in, in the still here we are in the pandemic, hopefully the tail end, but the uh, nonstop adjustments by the municipal, county, state, federal, and corporate level uh, advisories that come out or directives or statutes and ordinances and so on. So, but what does all that mean to reduce the, the spread of the virus, viral transmission, if we do or don't know somebody's viremic, and we really normally don't, um, how do we continue to, to slow the spread? Because there are still viremic people out there and still those that are vulnerable, uh, known and unknown to them. So what do we do in light of all the guidance and the science that's there um, with masking and distancing, um, how we array things? But we looked at different environments. It was really interesting from call centers, distribution or fulfillment centers, of course, to parking areas um, for where transactions are taking place, of course, and then inside the store in different areas, so and different size stores, so that there's you know kind of a variation there that we all know about, and then including now office also the corporate or regional office environment, so um, that we had the retailers going around the circle, if you will, talking about what guidance that they're referring to and what it seems to what their perceptions of it are as a company the leadership there, uh, and then how they're activating. Uh, and it seemed to range from you know, just education to education with general nudges to uh, education with firmer nudging to uh, education with sort of edicts, particularly in some of these more condensed like call centers, areas where 
you've got a lot of people concentrated in a small area and everybody's talking and emitting, uh, potentially emitting viral particles in mass um, and of different types, right? So uh, those are, there was really a lot of interesting talk, discussion, and those that were talking about what's going on now, how they're adjusting going forward. Um, so stay tuned, but it's just another example of an LPRC cluster call uh, as we pull people together. A reminder that uh, the Fusion Net calls continue every Wednesday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern. Um, if you're an LPRC member, then these cluster calls and Fusion Net calls are part of the membership community. Um, and we'd encourage you to get involved. If you're a member or a non-member, um, sign up, send a message to uh, operations at lpresearch.org to get on the Connect e-newsletter. Um, it's a really neat, really well done newsletter. Um, Diego heads that up as well. And it gives us, it gives you, all of us, a lot of critical information in a short format. It's very visual, um, but it gives you an idea of what cluster calls, working group calls, LPRC events are coming up. Speaking of which, we all know uh, the LPRC Impact 2021 version looks to be fully physical as well as having um, an online component to it, a virtual component uh, in Gainesville, uh, on campus. Um, and so if you're interested in going, again, lpresearch.org is where you want to go and sign up. If you're a solution partner and you want to be a sponsor, it's a great way to get in front of hundreds of, um, and, and online even more than that, uh, of the most senior people, the decision makers, the deciders, the influencers, the, those that are barriers and so on. Um, LPRC is a great way to do it, impact sponsorship. The first week in October, um, Kenna Carlson and the rest of the research team have already specced out, lined out all the research, all the different learning lab breakouts and main stage content. Uh, we're preparing how we're going to do the five now LPRC labs tours. We've got two super cool. Uh, social events, uh, as well as actually a third, uh, the golf event, the annual uh, LPRC golf outing is is on um, and heavy planning now. So for that Monday morning um, of that first week in October. So stay tuned for all that pretty exciting stuff. Um, the Violent Crime Working Group has their own summit. That looks like it's to be June 1st, coming up pretty quickly at 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, the Violent Crime Working Group Summit. June 1st at 10 a.m. The Product Protection Summit looks like it's going to be um, on July the 11th, uh, the 16th, excuse me, July 16th. Um, and then it's the uh, Supply Chain Protection Working Group Summit is looking like it's going to be August 11th. Um, but again, look at the Connect, look on the LPRC website at lpresearch.org. That's all I've got for right now. Um, other than the LPRC Europe planning continues, um, we're excited about that as well. So everybody, uh, I'm going to turn it over now to Tom Meehan. Tom, if you can take it away. Yeah, thank you, Reed. So I just wanted to kind of start off by recapping something we talked about last week, which was actually two weeks in a row, the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack. And spend just a couple of minutes on took about five days for the ransomware attack to be solved. And the CEO, uh, and this is a publicly held company, or it's not really, it's, it's owned by several companies, KKR, Shell, um, a, a bunch of other companies. They made the decision to pay the ransomware, which is $4.4 million in Bitcoin. And there was a lot of chatter. And actually, it was part of a small working group about it. And, you know, uh, there's this challenge that the FBI makes recommendations not to pay. 
um, because that in influences ransomware attacks to continue to happen. It's kind of like we don't negotiate with terrorists, uh, the same kind of approach of, you know, the military doesn't pay ransom because it creates kind of this avenue for people to continue. But it is a business decision. And I was on this call and the reality is you shut down a pipeline that supplies, you know, fuel to 45 to 50% of the East Coast. And we can spend 25 or $30 million and three weeks to set it up or 44 to, to get it working very quickly. And it, there's actually negotiators that specialize in ransomware negotiation now, and there's insurance and it is a business. And so um, there was also a lot of media around how hackers or uh, you know nefarious actors are now commercializing this aspect. Ransomware isn't new, this has been around for years. Um, I think it's new that the media has taken the approach to look at this. And there's two kind of major business drivers, and this is in the several billion dollars. One is business compromise email, where there's a targeted phishing attempt that goes in to try to get credentials in a business environment and either steal wire transfer or influence a financial decision. And the other is ransomware. Um, so <clears throat> reason talking about it here is it is something to really think about in your businesses because even if you don't work in a department that has oversight of a cybersecurity incident, uh, it will affect everybody. And this is one of those things that unfortunately, long-term, you may see C-suite uh, folks stepping down. You may see people in, this, in, in all of the security spaces being affected because of what, what occurs. Most major retailers do tabletop exercises pretty regularly um, and do include asset protection. But if you're not included, I'd raise your hand and, and, and try to be included just to learn what is what's occurring. I don't believe it's a new phenomenon. I do believe that this targeted, very professional attack, you know, being paid $4.4 million, um, certainly people will emulate it and try to copy it. But there's a couple important notes here that an attack like this also has a huge amount of government oversight. Now, the White House has officially said that they, although this is a Russian group, they do not believe it's a state-sponsored attack. And this is one of those quasi-challenges where the Russian government may not want to be involved in it. So they may actually help, um, you know, to, to capture these folks. The, these folks that are in Russia literally could never leave the country to go to an extra country because the federal government is watching them. And this is what ends up happening is someone goes on vacation somewhere in in. Eastern Europe, where it's a treaty company, a uh, country, and they're picked up. This is a common theme with this type of attack. So my, my thought here is in the next couple months, you'll probably hear about an arrest made. Um, and this is really the U.S. government working with other governments to influence it. It is, although not a government-owned pipeline, it is a utility attack. So there'll be a lot more uh, news coming around that. So I think it's important. And then just kind of highlighting a couple... Uh, this is an interesting week in, in the breach world. Um, so there is a lot of talk about tightening the, res the, the restrictions on um, what is considered a breach. You know, the solar winds attack, which was one we talked about before, really drove, because that was much more government-based, really drove the, the, the lobbyists and the folks in the Hill to say there needs to be a better mandatory breach notification bill and a better information sharing bill. So very similar to what we hear about organized retail crime is you know, starting to information sharing is the key here. 
networking is the key, but you're going to see in the next uh, 12 months or so some heavy, heavy push to legislate the need to disclose. Disclosure laws now have a lot of ambiguous language and allow people to kind of wait to a certain point. So you'll see that. Uh, it, in other breach news, Air India had a breach. Uh, they they just recently, I think about a day ago, updated it, said it affected 4.5 million passengers. Um, there was, uh, you know, uh, another another breach from Bose, the speaker manufacturer. So there's there a couple couple breaches in the last couple of weeks. In addition to, and just like you were, folks have COVID fatigue and mass fatigue. Breach fatigue is, exists where people really don't take the thought to say, wow, if I ever flew Air India, there's a high likelihood that my, all of my data is available. If I bought a Bose speaker online, there's a high likelihood that my name, address, phone number, and potentially payment information is available. So um, it, you want to really, really think when you think about breach fatigue, the one thing, and it's as simple, is, is when you follow these kind of breaches to just simply, if you have an account with Bose, go in, change your password, look at it, and, and understand what is a at risk. Um, I think, you know, while I'm not here to give personal advice, I would say if you're not using some sort of monitoring program, all of the major credit monitoring programs offer breach, you know, kind of protection. So a lot of times these are accounts that you were used many, many years ago. So payment information isn't as big as a risk as just personal information. So I think that that's the kind of the, the two takeaways that I would give there. And then switching gears a little bit to, which we also talk about regularly, the Fusion Net, which is uh, the Washington Research Council's kind of um, open network to talk about active intelligence. Uh, there is, and really, it's not just about civil unrest. Unfortunately, in the last few weeks, it feels that way. It's about you know any major event that is occurring um, within uh, you know the world, specifically in the United States, that could affect someone. So whether civil disturbance, a major, major, um, you know, something impact type thing. And, and just wanted to talk about, there's quite a bit of chatter that's occurring right now around, you know, some of the other, other event, unfortunate events that happened in the past. And, and then quite a lot of small, what I would say, hundred people or less protests popping up around the death of Ronald Green. Um, and uh, that's a Louisiana event and there's a, just a whole bunch of videos that are now surfacing so well again i think all of us are kind of uh, at the point where we, we at least i am I mean, not another protest not another event but i think it, it sheds light it's important to, to continue to watch that activity because these little events turn into big events um, there were several large relatively uneventful protests around um, Palestine and Israel uh, in, in, in the major metropolitan cities, well, where they were certainly disruptive, they were relatively uh, peaceful and calm. I know there was a fairly large one in New York City where there was a lot of video. And if you watch the video, it really looked like, you know, um, it was out of control. But really what it was, was it was a group of people that were um, rowdy is what I would say. They weren't trying to be destructive. They were really just trying to garner attention for their cause. But, uh, you know, when you get a thousand people together and, uh, it doesn't take much for it to transition. So it's always really important to stay attached to the fusion net and, and just continue to share information. And what I would say is if you have an event in a retail establishment and if you're listening and you're a part of the fusion net and it's small, take the time to just push it out so that people can understand because, 
Um, this particular rally in New York City, if you watch the media or you watch some of the videos, um, the what was portrayed in the video is very different than what was occurring on the grounds. In one video, there was a car driving around a, a fairly, what looked to be a fairly large fire, but what it was, was it was a controlled fire. There was actually a permit. Um, and when you watch the video, it was, wow, this is this looks crazy. And then when you went back, New York City issued a permit. There were people there. I think they made two arrests and they were unrelated. So information sharing is the key to, to validate, is there actually a risk or at least validate there's an indicator of risk. We, you know, I, I think when you say validate it, it sometimes sends the wrong message. So um, lots and lots of breach stuff, lots and lots of risk stuff going on. Uh, Reed, thank you so much for covering the COVID stuff. I, um, I read a ton about the Indian flu and I, I think it was the second wave was what always scares me because the younger people had a stronger immune response and it killed a lot of people because of that. So that's always what I think about when I think of, um, you know, what's going on with COVID. Thankfully, we're much further ahead in science and information sharing today. So I think we're in a better place than then. Uh, and without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Tony. Thank you very much, uh, Tom. And again, very insightful information from both you and Reed on what's happening in the world and all the key risks and also the opportunities uh, going forward with LPRC. Let me start um, this uh, week's update in terms of what's going on with retail around the world by focusing on Gen Z. And uh, this is really uh, from Vogue Business and talks about the post-pandemic playbook, what Gen Z's won from physical retail. So first of all, who is Gen Z? Gen Z were individuals that were born between 1997 and 2012, there are 67 million of these folks in the United States. It's the third largest generation. Millennials is now number one. They passed baby boomers in 2019, and baby boomers is number two, and uh, Gen Z is number three. Uh, despite being the most digitally savvy generations, what's interesting about Gen Z and why it's important, they very much like to shop inside physical stores but their motives are different than older consumers, which means uh, retail stores need to change the response. 67% of Gen Z uh, individuals shop in store most of the time. Only 22% use a browser to shop online most of the time, and only 13% use an app to shop most of the time. Why do they like stores? Well, they consider retail as therapy. Gen Z uh, what was interesting to me is one of the loneliest and most isolated of all generations. According to a 2019 study from, that was sponsored by Cigna, 79% of Gen Z described themselves as lonely compared to 71% of millennials and 50% of baby boomers. The top three reasons for choosing a store to shop by Gen Zs are and this is really what retailers need to pay attention to. 68% want a wide variety of products. 67% shop because of its proximity or close, uh, the store location. And 67%, it's all about product availability. So having the right product that they're looking for. Now, if that's about Gen Z, how strong are they in terms of uh, as an economic power in the U.S.? Uh, in terms of how much economic power do they actually yield. And concurrently, there was a, an infographic published in Visual Capitalist, and it turns out Gen Z is actually currently last in terms of economic power. The most economic power right now 
in the uh, United States is actually being yielded by baby boomers at 43 percent. Uh, actually, when it comes to money and economic power, the research that uh, was published, baby boomers between the ages of 57 to 75 have more influence than millennials, Gen X, and Gen Z combined. Uh, when boomers enter the workforce in the prosperous World War II, millennials um, had either started their careers or in the Afrima and or had gone through the uh, the Gen Zs had gone through the 2008 financial crisis, which is really still scarring them. So to put it in perspective, when baby boomers were as old as today's millennials in 2009, they had 21.3 percent of U.S. wealth. That's more than four times higher than what millennials hold now. So even though the um, Baby boomers and boobs are number two. They are still are the main driver of economic power, and they'll be there for a while. And millennials and Gen Zs have some work to do to catch up. Let me switch topic to also a topic that has been in the news a lot, and that's what's happening to cryptocurrencies. And uh, and this was sparked by what Elon Musk did in terms of uh, telling the world that he no longer wanted to accept. Bitcoin for you to buy your next uh, Tesla. And the reason was the power consumption uh, that is that is required to actually run uh, Bitcoin, to actually create a Bitcoin. So this is actually, again, from Visual Capitalist. And they actually uh, really did an infographic summarizing how much power does it take to create a Bitcoin. So on March 18, 2021, uh, the, the, what they calculated it takes 129 terawatt hours to create a Bitcoin. So what does that really mean? Well, when you would compare it to the following stats. So for example, all of the world's data center, that's every single data center that's around the world collecting all the data uses 205 terawatts. So that, again, compare it. The city of New York uses 161 terawatts. So if Bitcoin were a country, it would rank 29th in the world in terms of uh, uh, power consumption out of our theoretical 196 country, narrowly uh, exceeding Norway's cons consumption of 124 terawatts. So Bitcoins do indeed use a lot of power. So it'll be interesting to see how we're all the green initiatives how they get positioned, and they've been going up and down in terms of what's happening uh, to the market. Let me close with the top five physical security trends in retail to watch in, 21, in 2021 and beyond. This is actually from a new blog or a new article that I just published. And in there, I opened that, that article by talking about really what happened to COVID. So, uh, when we got into COVID, we all got assigned either an essential or non-essential retail status. And, and as I said in the blog, $285 billion was transferred from non-essential retailers to essential retailers. And $250 billion was transferred from uh, smaller companies to larger companies. And this created a massive shock to the worldwide economy with GDP levels initially dropping 30% or more. Uh, concurrently, uh, the store closures did not lead 
to less crime in stores. In fact, if you look at one statistic that was published in DND Daily in terms of retail fatalities, it actually went up. In 2020, there were 485 violent incidents in the United States, up 14% from the previous year. That led to 523 fatalities, up 5% from 2019. Uh, what's disturbing is that customers, store associates, and security personnel made up 76% of the victims, with uh, remaining 24% being suspects. So with that as background, here are my five uh, top uh, security, physical security trends. Number one, innovative uses of existing technology. What you saw during COVID is the camera got reinvented to do a lot more. So you saw it to look at mass compliance, checking accuracy, remotely monitoring body temperatures. So a lot more was being done with physical security solutions. And in fact, in the blog, I actually even show a video where in China, they were actually using a police helmet that had integrated fever detection technology. Uh, the number two trend is actually what uh, Tom just talked about, which is increased cybersecurity risks and the rise of ransomware. In Q3 of 2020, uh, they were all alone, 4 million email threats and over 1 million hits on malicious URLs related to COVID-19. Studies have estimated that the cost of ransomware attacks will reach 20 billion in 2021, and the downtime caused uh, by ransomware increased 200% in 2019. So cybersecurity investments are, are gonna continue to increase. In fact, they will cager or have a compounded annual growth rate of 10.4% over the next uh, four years. Uh, the third trend that I see is greater focus on privacy protection. Uh, in a McKinsey uh, study published recently, retail ranked fifth as the most trusted industry in protecting data and privacy. The most trusted sectors, uh, number one and number two, were health care and financial services. And what was interesting to me is retail is less than half of the trust factor of the other sectors. So I expect a lot more focus on privacy and what to do with privacy in, in retail coming up. Number four trend that I see is more investment in emerging uh, technologies. You're gonna hear a lot more about artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, and they are here actually in a lot of different places. The artificial intelligence just in the security market will reach uh, over $14 billion by 2026. Uh, and you're gonna see a lot more uh, proactive technology being applied to physical security, including getting to a point where we can actually really predict what's gonna happen next. And as part of that, I go to my fifth trend, which is again, something that LPSC is exp exploring very heavily, which is uh, a further transition to centralize intelligence security operation centers. Uh, security operation centers are becoming a critical component of the mix going forward. Uh, they're gonna lead to faster decision-making capabilities, improved operations, and to me, more highly secure physical stores. I think they're gonna merge the physical and virtual elements, and they're gonna create and emerge at the, at the SOC much smarter security solutions. And again, I see growth, tremendous growth over the forecast periods 
that you can see again in the in the blog, the market size for socks will grow 11.9%. So it's even higher than one I talked about earlier in some of the other industries. So just to summarize what I said in those five trends, uh, it's clear that technology will play a bigger role in physical security and other industries. But unlike uh, previous eras in, in uh, history where technology has replaced human workers, these technologies will empower security pr professionals to better understand their security landscape, make better data-driven decisions, and respond to threats before they happen. So I see a bright future in terms of where security goes next. And again, a lot of it is through the activities that you should be following and participating here at the LPRC because science-based research is how we're gonna get there to actually make these trends valuable for retailers. And with that, let me turn it over to Reed. Oh, wow, thank you both, uh, Tony and Tom. A ton of great information, much appreciated. Uh, also on this Tuesday as we talk, this is roughly, I believe, the one year anniversary of the uh, the shooting of, or excuse me, the death of George Floyd uh, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and so uh, it looks like there's been a huge wave of change across the United States. Uh, we continue to um, wish everybody the best, but also uh, conduct research. And of course, a lot of problem solving sharing with each and every one of you all. Um, and you heard uh, Tom mention again, and myself, FusionNet um, and those calls. Um, we're going to continue cluster calls, of course, with the Violent Crime Working Group. Um, but we've got to safeguard people that are in these shops, in the stores, uh, that are driving uh, supplies to and from those locations, the distribution fulfillment centers, and so on. And of course, even the office buildings. Um, and so we want to support everybody in the best way that we can, including though um, safety and, uh, and, and free commerce as well. So um, we'll continue to work on that and keep you all informed. Um, but so far, so good in that. And a lot of valuable lessons learned, uh, hopefully by policing, hopefully by leaders, uh, hopefully by um, everybody out there about better ways to engage and handle uh, situations. And then in this case, uh, working with uh, 60 plus major retail chains and their executives working on ways to better safeguard people and places um, from the results of whatever type of events happen out there. Um, so I want to wish everybody stay safe, stay in contact. Please, we uh, welcome you to, to get on board LPRC, join as a member, engage across the 86 engagement points that we've got. Um, but let's keep working together um, and stay safe. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.